Go with me to the book of Titus, chapter number 2. The book of Titus, chapter number 2 and verse number 13. Titus. <laughs> Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 13. Amen. If you found it, say amen. If you hadn't found it, it's right there. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about expectations, having spiritual expectations. I want to talk to you about our expectations determine our revival. God, I pray, Lord, for your anointing on me to preach and teach your word. I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. I ask you, Lord, to be with all of our children's classes. Lord, that you would touch our students and teachers I pray, God, for all those that are working so hard to get set up for the conference this weekend. God, that you would help them tonight. Let your anointing be with us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. When a couple finds out that they are pregnant, they, there's much joy and excitement. The process is particularly difficult on a woman's body. Besides the obvious of the baby belly, other difficult changes take place. And you ladies don't need me to tell you this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Ankles swell. They get an upset stomach. Am I preaching anybody? Am I preaching yet? <laughs> Certain foods and smells cause them to get sick. They have headaches. They have difficulty sleeping, walking, indigestion, fatigue, depression. All of this knowing that at the very end, they're going to have excruciating pain during the birthing process. Yet all of this, with all of this discomfort and all of this pain and all of this stuff, They don't say that they're dreading. They say they're expecting. They don't say that they are dreading a baby, but they're expecting a baby. Because the positive of having a new baby far outweighs all the discomfort of the process. They are expecting. The word expect in the dictionary means to anticipate or to look for, to look, to hope for, to watch for, to look forward to. Paul told Titus that the church was expecting the return of Jesus Christ. Titus chapter number two, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They said we're looking for, in the original Greek, it means to await with confidence. We are awaiting with confidence the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is something to be said for expectation. 
The writer of Proverbs said this in the King James Version. It reads like this. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. The word afflicted in this verse is interesting because it's not speaking of a physical affliction. It's not talking about a sickness or disease or disability of some sort. The original word here in Hebrew means to be depressed. It comes from a root word that means to be downcast or to be low or to be discouraged. The word evil here means bad or unhappy. Knowing the definitions, look at the verse again. All the days of the depressed are bad, but those with a merry heart have a continual feast. The way that you look at things makes all the difference in the world. All the days of the depressed. Now, I've, I've made an admission before, and I'll admit it again, that there are times when I have bouts with depression. Thank the Lord it's not debilitating and it's not major, but I, at times I have these, these moments where I have a, uh, just a, a bout with that, that, that depression. It just is what it is. To a large degree, it's managed, but I still find myself occasionally having to battle my way out of it. Sometimes I get overwhelmed by a sense that something bad's just going to happen, what's going to come around the corner. I know, I know I'm probably the only one that feels that way. Maybe, maybe I, I guess I'm teaching only to myself tonight. And you just have to sit here for it. It's my personal battle. But I also tend to operate in faith a lot. It doesn't seem to make sense, does it? To on one hand fight with, with depression and on the other hand have faith. I've found over the course of the last 10 years that it's my faith in God's word that usually pulls my mind out of depression. It's because I believe the word of God more than I believe my own mind and my own fears. Amen. I love to listen to preaching. I have learned that, however, I don't enjoy every kind of preacher. Brother Bishop Bo Harris, he uh, passed away, uh, one of our elders from the state of Louisiana, he passed away a few months ago, and uh, the Lord blessed me to be able to speak a few words at his funeral, and uh, he was a great man of faith, and uh, he said one time, he said, I've never heard a bad sermon. He said, if it's an apostolic preacher, I've never heard a bad sermon. And so then we let him listen to a sermon, and he said, it's the first bad apostolic sermon i ever heard in my life. <laughs> I've learned I don't like every kind of preaching. Amen. Don't say amen too much there. I, I, that's the one time I'm glad you all didn't say amen. <laughs> a few months ago, I was listening to a preacher, and... Uh, Man, he was negative. He was preaching about the great falling away and how all the bad things going on and how nobody wants the, the, 
the, the, nobody wants revival, nobody wants the Lord, and nobody wants, and, uh, and, and he never brought it around to saying anything positive. He, it sounded like he was just giving up. When I read the Bible, I understand the Bible says there's going to be a great falling away. And I know the Bible says that the things of this world are going to wax worse and worse. I understand all of that. But when I read the Bible, I see that the worse things get in the world, the better things get in the church. Let's look at the first church. We keep going back to the book of Acts. We've gone back there the last couple of weeks. Let's go back to the first church. And I'm going to, I'm going to point out a few things, just, just a sampling in the first seven or eight chapters. Where in chapter number two, they have to pool their resources because they're having so much financial trouble that they're struggling to get by. In, uh, in Acts chapter number four, Peter and John are put in jail because they prayed and healed a lame man. From chapter four to chapter five, it got worse because all the apostles were put in prison. In Acts chapter number seven, one of the original deacons, Stephen, was martyred. In Acts chapter number 8, it said that, Paul, that Saul wreaked havoc on the church. Over and over, chapter after chapter, there was persecution and difficulty on multiple fronts. Economic hardship, political persecution from the Roman government, religious persecution from the Jewish high priest, cultural pressure and persecution from the Greek thought and philosophies that were prevalent in that time. Yet through all of that difficulty, God sent revival to the church. Amen. It is the outlook of faith to see a feast when others see evil. To see revival when other people focus on hardship. Your expectations are going to determine in large part what you get from God. Your expectations will set a tone for either your faith or your fear. Satan wants to sabotage your joy with fear and unbelief. He wants you to expect something bad and become fearful of the what-ifs. Fear is the opposite of faith. And it takes faith to get anything from God. Without faith, it's unlikely to please God. Is that what it says? It says it's impossible to please God. And if we're not careful, evil expectation will open the door for misery. Your expectations will determine what you get from God. Nothing in life is quite so frustrating as barrenness. The definition of the word barren, it means not producing offspring, habitually failing to fruit, unproductive, no results, unprofitable, devoid of something, lacking. That's a, that's a uh, discouraging definition, isn't it? Barrenness is frustrating, not producing, habitually failing, unproductive, unprofitable, 
on and on. Those terms are telling of the frustration that comes from feeling barren. There's nothing quite like barrenness. A barren field that produces no fruit. A barren tree that yields nothing. A barren business that you work, 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 but it seems like you never get anywhere. Barrenness is frustrating. It's disturbing. It's discouraging. My wife and I, as you know, for many years could not have children. I identify with the feelings of frustration. But I'm going to tell you that in the like, in like manner, I've felt spiritually barren before. There's been times when I felt like no matter how much I prayed, I didn't see any results. I felt like no matter how hard I tried and worked, I didn't get any fruit. Anybody ever have a time when you felt like your spiritual life was unproductive, frustrating? Anyone ever feel like you've had some barren areas in your life? I've had times when I felt like my ministry was barren. Now, for instance. Times when services, no matter how hard we tried to push to get people to plug in, they were dry. I've had barren times when I thought we should be having more results, but instead it felt like we were just treading water. I think we all can understand and identify with feelings of barrenness and frustration and discouragement. Among the Eastern cultures in the Bible times, barrenness was often considered to be a family's greatest misfortune. The way that society was set up, there was no social security, there was no retirement benefits. Their retirement plan was basically have kids and the kids would take care of you when you couldn't take care of yourself. That was the social order and the way that families operated. In Israel, fertility was one of God's blessings. Therefore, they interpreted having children as being blessed and being barren as a curse or affliction from God. It was considered by women in Israel to be an affliction. They believed that barrenness was an affliction sent by God as a result of some hidden sin or some family issue. The first command given to mankind after they were created was Genesis 1.28. The Bible said that God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Then God, because of sin, destroyed mankind with the flood. But the Bible said that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And he built an ark to the saving of his house. And when the ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat, God had a message for Noah and for his family. In Genesis 8, 17, he said again, be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. God wants growth. God wants productivity. God wants fruitfulness. Amen. It is God's will 
for his church to have revival. Amen. Can somebody say praise the Lord? But I will tell you that the church cannot have revival if the people don't have revival. That means it's God's will for his people to have revival. It's God's will for the men and women and young people and children of this church to have revival. Every age group, everybody in this church, God wants you to be visited by a blessing and an outpouring of the Spirit of God. God wants you to be blessed. Amen. I know, look, I I deal with a lot of people. I deal with a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. and, And one of the greatest difficulties of this generation, in my opinion, of the church, is that too many people in the church don't expect to be blessed. Amen. They don't expect the blessings of God. We're programmed. I say it all the time, man. I I say it all the time, but we are programmed by our culture to be negative. Social media, dear God, help us. Whoever created it, I'd like to be standing by him, not by him, not anywhere close to him, but I'd like to be in the room when they stand before God for all that mess they brought on us. Of course, we are not forced to participate. But the, it's so negative. There's so. Can you just can you just give me a good Baptist nod once in a while? <laughs> we had a preacher here back in well, brother. I think it was 95, 94, 95, 96. Brother Doug Hogston. He'd play the piano and sing. He had a real high voice and he'd preach. He'd get so excited and then he'd stop and he'd say, "Shake your head like a chicken eating corn." But God wants you to be blessed. You got to settle that. It doesn't matter what all the bad stuff in your past has been like. If you're redeemed, God wants you to be blessed. God wants every Holy Ghost filled child of God to walk in joy and peace. I'm not saying you'll never have trouble or trial, but God wants you to be blessed. God wants your family to be full of the Holy Ghost. Thank the Lord. God wants your backslidden children to pray back through. Can I get an amen? That's the will of God. God's not willing that any should perish. God wants you to be blessed. I want you to say it with me because we have trouble believing. I want you to say, God wants me to be blessed. Come on, say it one more time. God wants me to be blessed. Amen. God wants to bless you. I believe God wants the church to be blessed. I believe God wants the church to have revival. But these pews and walls and carpet can't be blessed unless you're blessed. The building itself isn't going to get blessed. If it's going to be blessed, it's because God blesses you and renews you and touches you. So when somebody preaches God's going to give us revival, what we're really saying is God wants to give you revival. Amen. God wants you to be blessed. But we still go through these seasons where we feel barren and unfruitful. We wonder if we're ever going to really feel joy again. Life takes a toll on us. Anyone ever wonder what's wrong 
that others are being blessed and you feel barren? Have you ever been in a Holy Ghost-filled service and watched people worship? And in your mind, you don't, you're, you're not connected to it at all. You feel like, like something must be wrong with you. I've treated coon tonight. I'm going to keep barking. Must just be me. Barrenness wasn't uncommon in the scripture. We read of eight women in the Bible that the scripture says had barren wombs. Proverbs 30 and 16 said that the barren womb is never satisfied. There should, we should never accept spiritual barrenness without fighting as hard as we can to get out of it. We find in Genesis 11 and 30, the Bible says that Sarah was barren. Genesis 25, Rebecca was barren. Genesis 29, Rachel was barren. Isn't it interesting that God built an entire nation off three barren women? Judges 13 and 2 tells us that Manoah's wife was barren. That's Samson's mother. We see in 1 Samuel 1 and 5, Hannah was barren. 2 Kings 4, 14, the Shunammite woman was barren. And Luke 1 and 7 says that Elizabeth was barren. She wasn't just barren. The Bible said she was barren and well-stricken in years. She was barren and too old to hope for a change. But these seven women refused to be content with barrenness. Sarah gave birth to Isaac and was called the mother of nations. A promise came through her. Rebekah gave birth to Jacob who wrestled with angels. Rachel gave birth to Joseph who dreamed dreams and saw visions. Manoah's wife gave birth to Samson, the strongest man. Hannah gave birth to Samuel, a prophet of God. And not one of his words ever fell to the ground. The Sunamite woman gave birth to a son and provided for a man of God. Elizabeth gave birth to John the Baptist, who was a voice crying in the wilderness. And Jesus said a greater man was never born. All these women, through barren, though barren for seasons, hopeless and frustrated, gave birth to profound blessings for the kingdom of God. Without these barren women, we would not have had a promise or a fighter or a dreamer or a strong man or a prophet or a preacher or a voice in the wilderness. These seven women in the Bible who were called barren didn't die that way. Only one woman that the Bible called barren died barren. It's the eighth barren woman of the Bible. Her name was Michael, David's wife, the daughter of Saul. The day came when the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was being brought back to Israel. David was so excited to have God back in Jerusalem that he wasn't afraid for everyone to see him worship. He worshiped so much, the Bible said that he shouted out of his robe. His 
wife who should have been beside him, worshiping with him, was rather looking out of a window and watching while her husband danced and celebrated in the presence of God. While he was worshiping, she was criticizing. She was watching out the window. You can't let yourself get sidetracked when there's watchers instead of worshipers. You just got to be a worshiper and don't let yourself be a watcher. When David got home from his worship session, his wife Michael mocked him for his worship. You didn't look like a king out there today. She made fun of him for praising the Lord. And here's what the Bible said about her. 2 Samuel 6, 23. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Eight barren women mentioned in the Bible. Seven persevered, but the one who hated worship was the one who never had a child. Can I tell you that if you'll be a worshiper, God will bring you through your barrenness. But if you're just a watcher, you have no guarantee of ever being blessed again. Amen. The only barren womb that died that way in the Bible was the one who mocked a worshiper. I contend that people who don't worship are still the only barren people in the church. Amen. I've had seasons where I felt barren, but if I was a worshiper, I wasn't really barren. I've had seasons where I felt like my prayers were barren, but I refused to die that way. The Old Testament, God sent a prophet Isaiah to talk to his people. In the Old Testament, Israel was God's physical people. In the New Testament, the church is God's spiritual people. In the Old Testament, Israel's blessings concerned a physical promised land. God's New Testament spiritual people are concerned with spiritual blessings. Israel was in a barren time of bondage. Their enemy had taken control of the land and enslaved them. And in the middle of that enslavement, God sent a, sent a prophet, Isaiah, with the word to his barren people. Isaiah 54 and 1, sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing, and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. He brings a word to an enslaved people, sing, O barren. The word sing here in the original Hebrew means to sing aloud for joy. It was not just to sing a morning, slow, uh, uh, sad song. It was not to be a song of discouragement, you know, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. It means specifically to sing aloud for joy, to be joyful, to rejoice, to shout for joy. To shout with triumph. God instructs a barren womb to sing a song of joy. Hallelujah. Sing was not just to sing. But it was to sing in such joy as to appear nearly beside yourself. 
God told the barren, unproductive, unprofitable to sing the song of joy and victory. God asked the frustrated, the depressed, the disappointed, barren person to rejoice and to be joyful and to sing a song of victory. Can I tell you, it's one thing to sing and shout and rejoice when life has been good or even average. But it's another thing entirely to demand that a barren womb sing. God didn't request the barren to sing. God commanded the barren to sing. He emphatically stated, sing, O barren. He left no option. He left no choice. He didn't say, see if you can muster up a little song. He said, no, here's the way it is. You're barren, but I'm requiring you to sing a song of joy when you don't feel joy. A song of victory when you don't feel victory. A song of peace when you're in turmoil. And a song of happiness when you're discouraged. Sing, O barren, thou that did not bear. Sing like somebody who's already had a baby. Amen. Listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't usually have a problem rejoicing when God blesses me. I remember when I was, when I was youth pastor, brother, uh, I don't remember who came by and preached, but they preached that if you find a penny, pick it up and shout. Was that Andy Wan or was that uh, brother Guy? Andy Wan. And he, he, he preached, if you, find, if you find a penny on the ground, pick it up and raise it up and thank God for it. And so I just took it to heart. I just started doing it. I still pick up coins if they're anywhere but on a public restroom floor. Everybody has their limits. I remember when I was in Indiana, I told that to our church. I said, we had a preacher that when I was here, when I moved from here to Indiana, I told the church up there, man, we didn't have anything. I, my wife and I, we were living in a Sunday school room. We had to bust out a wall and put a shower in. Living in this old building, we didn't have anything. And uh, my first act as pastor was to cut my pay, move into the church. We, did, we, were, we had just got there. The ladies in the church fixed a meal a day, and we ate it that evening and for lunch. And that's how we survived for the first few weeks till I got a job pouring concrete. Just trying to get by. But I told the church, that if we'll be faithful over a few, God will make us a ruler over many. And so I told him that the preacher came by here and told us if we see a penny to pick it up and to praise God for it. And so they started doing it. And, uh, and, and, and then we realized that the previous pastor had, uh, had, had left. He had had me come in and he had failed to tell me that we had a $65,000 balloon payment due in six months. And we were bringing in about 600 a week, and our expenses were about 1,600 a week. And my first Sunday as pastor, I get up before the church and I said, "They're going to turn off our lights and our water and our sewer if we don't get a good offering today." And I didn't tell them how much we needed, but we took up the offering. And when the uh, secretary counted it after church, she called me that afternoon and she was crying. I thought, "Dear God, they're going to turn it all off." She said, Pastor, we got to the exact penny, everything we need to pay all these bills in full. 
to the exact penny. Amen. I made up my mind that day I was going to quit worrying, but I didn't. But God made a way. We, we needed out of that old building. I spent the first three weeks learning how to solder copper pipe that was leaking all over the place. It was a hundred and some year old building that had a room called the dungeon where the boiler was. The dungeon was up under the, the alley underneath the, behind the church and it was leaking all over the place. And uh, I had to go down to the dungeon and, uh, and, and fix leaks. That's where I learned that if you'll stuck a hot dog bun in a copper pipe, it'll stop the water long enough you can sweat it. And then the water, the water will dissolve the, the bread and you can go back to using the pipes. The bad part was I had to eat hot dogs without a bun the next day. But we're just trying to survive. I mean, just doing whatever we could to survive and get by. Turned out we needed to we needed to move to get we couldn't afford to stay there. And we our 20 people didn't need it anyway. And I was pouring concrete with a guy in our church. He was a good guy, but he was a drug addict and uh, and and just a rough character. But he knew how to pour concrete. So me and him started pouring patios together. And uh, we were up, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning. It was still dark in Indiana. It was cold. And, uh, and we, we, got, we were walk, driving out to go pour a patio, to form and pour a patio. And, uh, and, and we go by this piece of property. On this piece of property, it's about three acres in the middle of town. And it's got this little brown building that's about maybe, the, the whole building's about the size of the center row of, uh, of pews. And I drove by, and I said, man, I wish we had that property for our church. And, and the, uh, the, 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 the drug addict alcoholic said, well, why don't we stop and pray? You're the pastor. Let's pray. So he pulls out there. The weeds are still high. We're standing there in the early morning light, me and a, me and a crazy old man holding hands in a field praying. They probably thought there was a lot more worse a lot more wrong with us than, than that. But we're praying. It's a Friday morning. And when, uh, when we got done pouring concrete, a preacher from out in Oregon happened to be visiting that weekend in town. He asked me if my wife and I would let him take us to Olive Garden. I was like, yes, Lord, we will. It's that or it's the 99-cent menu at Taco Bell. Yes, we'll let you take us to Olive Garden. That was an answer to prayer, too. We go into Olive Garden, and I'm walking by a table, and a guy says, Is that you, John? And it was a young man that I'd gone to church camp with when I was a teenager. His name was Brother Jones. His dad had pastored a church, an apostolic church in town. And his dad had, had passed away, and uh, he and his brother were keeping the church going. And they didn't know their dad had started building a building on a little three-acre lot in the middle of town. And he said, uh, he said, how you doing? I said, well, we're doing okay. I said, I, I'd, I'd like to sell our building. He said, well, 
He said, we don't know how to build, and we need a building. I said, well, we got builders, but, but we got to get rid of a building. He said, what would you think about trading your old building for our three acres and little building? I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. The very day we prayed, after years, I ran into that guy. And within a few weeks, we had that little building, and we weren't going in the hole $1,000 a week anymore. And the old guys pouring concrete with said, See, Pastor, I told you. <laughs> but we needed to build, but we didn't have any money. We had $112 in the bank. And Brother Wilson, I got a feeling that was money left over from what you gave us. Had $112 and needed to, to build. I'm, I, I'm taking a little bit of time. I'm not going to take much more, I don't think. But a uh, guy in our church was a, a custom home builder. And uh, the guy that, the, that ran the lumber yard that they got their lumber from, he called him and said, hey, does your church need any lumber? And he said, well, let me ask the pastor. I said, yes, we do. He said, well, bring, bring a trailer over and we'll give you some lumber. And we went out there with $112, all we had. He, he, we went out there with the trailer. I said, I got $112. Give me $112 worth. He said, you don't have to pay a penny. I'm giving you all of it. We loaded that trailer up with two by fours. Amen. We used the $112 to buy tarps to cover them so they wouldn't ruin while we were trying to get the rest of the money to build. A few weeks later, I got a call back. I think I might have been down here preaching a prayer revival. And I got a call from the guy again, and he said, hey, pastor, you need any more lumber? I said, yeah, we'll take some lumber if you, if you got it. He said, I said, but I'm out of town. I can't pick it up, but I can be there. He said, we'll deliver it. Don't worry about it. And so I got home on a Saturday night, and I drove by the church, and when I did, pallets of lumber stacked three high all over the front yard. They had brought seven truckloads of lumber for the church didn't cost us a dime by the time it was over we were burning lumber because we tried we gave all away we could give away and did, and still didn't have room for it the neighbors were saying you look like a lumber yard out there i said we won't for long we built that church on lumber that was given to us my point is my point is that even when you feel like you're barren if you'll continue to worship and be faithful God will make a way. And let me tell you something. Let me just throw this in there. Don't let somebody, don't let somebody put you down for being blessed when they don't know what you went through when you didn't have anything. God wants to bless his people. God wants to bless his people. I don't feel bad for being blessed now because I sat and ate hot dogs because I had to use the buns to stop leaks. So just be blessed and understand God wants you to be blessed. Amen. But you got to be willing to sing even when you're barren. God demanded the song, sing, O barren, and thou that didst not bear. Sing for joy when you don't feel joy. Sing for peace when you don't feel peace. That is the key to the overcoming barrenness. Our expectations determine our revival. Amen. Hallelujah. I could go a long time about that miracle, but I... I don't want to because I'm I could eat that hot dog right now. 
Can I say there should never be a time when we have to ask God's children to worship Him? He's already commanded. Sing, O Baron. If it wasn't for His grace and mercy, where would we be? There's never a time. If, if God demands a song of the barren, then how much does He demand a song of the blessed? I'm not just trying to re-preach my Sunday sermons tonight. I'm really not. But God doesn't only ask for worship from those who have it all together and feel great and cruising through life. But he told the barren to sing and to break forth into singing and to cry aloud. There are some here tonight who may be feeling the grip of barrenness, the frustration of a season where you feel like you're not getting anywhere. But our trials don't exempt us from worship. And our struggle, our frustration, our depression, our tribulation don't exempt us from worship. As a matter of fact, I see more scriptures calling on people in difficult circumstances to worship that I find for those that have it all together. So God calls on the barren to do more than just sing. But then he calls on her to act like she's expecting already. Verse number two, enlarge the place of thy tent. Don't just talk about it, do something about it. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, strengthen thy stakes. Don't just sing a song, but do something. Put your hands in action. Some people are reactive. They only move after they see the proof. But people of faith are proactive. They move based on the word of God. If there's nothing going on, they start something. There's many times when as a child of God, you just got to get up and make something happen if you feel like there's nothing going on. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Get a bigger house. Enlarge your house. Stretch forth your curtains. Make your rooms bigger. Spare not. Don't be cheap about it. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen thy stakes. Get everything ready because you're going to have a baby even though you've been barren because you learned the secret of worshiping when you were barren and so God knows he can trust you with the blessing amen our expectations determine our revival amen verse 3 of Isaiah 54 last verse for the evening for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. It starts with praise. It goes to action. And it ends with the prophetic word from God. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles. And I tell you that God wants you to be blessed on the right hand and on the left. And may I tell you, and I'm going to make it personal, not just church. I'm not going to say the church. I'm going to say personal. 
You're going to be blessed on the right hand and on the left. And you've not seen your greatest revival yet. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Anybody believe the word of God tonight? Amen. I'm going to tell you, your expectations determine your revival. People of vision who will dare to act when it appears as if there's nothing going on. But based on the word of God, Lord, help us to live and to walk by faith. Amen. Why don't you lift your hands to heaven all over this place. Lift it as expectation that God wants to send a blessing your way. Oh, God. Help me pray right now. There's some folks battling discouragement. Amen. If you'll be a worshiper, you may be barren now, but you're not going to die that way. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Sing, O barren. Why don't you just begin to thank God for your next breakthrough? Can you do that? Can you just begin to thank God for your next family revival, your next personal revival? Can you just begin to thank God that those things you've been petitioning him for? Amen. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. God, I'm going to give a song of praise right now. Even if I don't feel my breakthrough, I'm going to thank you for it because I'm making my down payment through praise right now. And God, I'm going to act on it. And by my song, by my praise, and by my actions, I'm going to receive the prophetic word of God over my life in Jesus' name. I receive that word. My expectations determine my revival. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you. I wonder if you could praise him with the mentality that you see your kids walking down to the altar. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I refuse to die barren. I refuse to die that way. I want to be like Hannah and Elizabeth. I want to be like Rachel and Rebecca and Sarah and the Shunammite woman. I'm not going to die that way. I refuse to be like Michael who mocked worship and died barren. I refuse to let that be my my epitaph. I refuse to let that be the end of my story. I'm going to sing. I'm going to sing like one who's already had a baby. Praise God. Amen. 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 Why don't you lift your hands to heaven? Before we go, I want to pray. I want to pray specifically for those that are dealing with discouragement and frustration. God sent this word to you. Because he wants you to expect a breakthrough. He wants you to expect a turnaround. And so, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, God, your word told us to strengthen weak hands and confirm feeble knees. So we come alongside our brothers and sisters who are dealing with difficulties and struggles. And, God, we pray for a special dispensation of grace on their lives, on their families. God, I pray, let your face shine upon them and your goodness come down to them in Jesus' name. God, we believe, but help thou our unbelief. Help us, O oh God, to sing the song of the barren. Help us, God, to have expectations that you're going to do what your word says you'll do. I believe your word more than I believe what my own mind tells me, what my discouragement tells me. I believe your word, God, more than I believe what my fear tells me. I believe your word more than I believe what my anxiety tells me. I believe your word more than I believe what my depression tells me. 
God, I'm going to act on faith in your word. I'm going to sing the song of the barren. I'm going to act, and then I'm going to receive a word of prophecy in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for your blessing. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise, and that'll be our dismissal tonight. Amen. Remember her conference, and remember Sunday is going to be a great weekend. God bless you in Jesus' name.